Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Good morning. Uh, I do have one announcement that I'm going to add to this. Um, Aaron is going to start a new series during the month of August, and it's going to go along with a book called Live No Lies. If you've never read this, I encourage you to do so. It is absolutely incredible. Uh, We are going to have this book starting next Sunday on sale. It's going to be for like $10 out in the lobby. You know Aaron's rules. If you don't have 10 bucks, just grab one, things like that. But it will actually uh, follow along with the book during the four-week sermon series. So that will be, we'll have them on sale next Sunday and then the following Sunday on August 7th as well. Also, Natasha wanted me to let you guys know that we'll also have a few groups that will be studying and going along with this book during the course of the week also. So remember that, bring your money, and uh, grab a book next Sunday. How's everybody this morning? I'm not Aaron McCarter. I am not. He's a lot better looking than I am, and a lot younger than I am. And I got, man, AJ, you totally messed me up, dude, because I am not prepared. Well, I am Chris Carpenter. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. In particular, I am the discipleship pastor here on staff, and I work a lot with men's ministry. I also oversee our core groups, our young adult career group, which is our 23 to 29-year-olds, as well as our college-age group. So a lot of hats. I get to wear, but I absolutely love it. And so if you're wanting to get more involved with things going on here at Vineyard, please come see me. Would love to get you plugged in or see Natasha. She loves to get you plugged in as well. So I've got a quick story for us before I get into the sermon this morning. Have you ever had to give a talk? Maybe you're in school or you're at work. You had to give a talk, but then there were other people talking before you and unbeknownst to you, a person that was talking before you gave an eerily similar message to you, like almost exact message that you had. Anybody like that? I'm the only one because it happened to me two weeks ago when John Elder was here speaking. Um, John starts his sermon, and if you didn't get to listen to that sermon, it was really, really awesome. It was on having a courageous impact. If you haven't heard it, go to the podcast, grab it, listen to it. It's incredible. But John starts his sermon, and I was really excited because John's from Syracuse, New York, and I was born around Syracuse, New York, so we got that Syracuse thing going on. But I quickly realized the subject matter for his sermon is incredibly similar to the subject matter that I had for this morning's sermon. And so I lean over to my wife. Jean was sitting right next to me, and I whisper, he's speaking my sermon, I think, I think he got into my computer and stole my sermon. And, but, you know, you got to keep smiling. You know, you got to give the confidence to John. And, but then the worst thing, he used the exact scripture reference that I used too. And that's probably when the panic button hit a little bit for me. Um, maybe a little sweat started rolling down the brow. And I, I, I mean, I had been working on this sermon for weeks. And I, God had actually... True story, woken me up about 1 o'clock in the morning the night before and had me finish this. I went back to bed about 3 or 3.30, and I was like, yeah, 
Look at what God's doing during the course of this sermon. So needless to say, when John started speaking, I started freaking out a little bit. This is where having an awesome spouse comes in very handy because Gene kind of talked me off the ledge, reminded me that it's actually a good thing for you to hear things twice in your life, uh, that God must really want this message to come out loud and clear. And okay, in the end, the two sermons aren't exactly alike, okay? So you're going to get something a little bit different. And so she had just kind of calmed me down and renewed my mind in a way to give a hint of the scripture we'll be referencing this morning. And I actually started thinking, hey, you know, if God gave me the same message as the super regional pastor of the vineyard. How awesome is that? That's really good. So that's pretty cool. All that to say, you might hear some familiar things that you heard a couple of weeks ago. If you were here, please have grace and just go with it. I promise it's not exactly the same. If you weren't here and you didn't get to listen to John's message, just disregard everything that I just said, and we're going to move forward. Now, I get the opportunity, the privilege of teaching after Aaron's Uprising series. And so after that series, man, I feel feel like I got to bring my A game to this sermon, right? If, If you're new this morning, if you haven't listened to this Uprising series, go to the podcast, listen to it. It's absolutely incredible. It's going to be well worth your time. It really talks about this heartbeat of who we want to be as the church and this direction in a way for us as a church. And it really goes along with our mission of joining God in the renewal of all things, as well as our vision of walking with Jesus and loving our neighbor. It's, it's like this grand call for us to prepare and to be a part of this uprising that's coming from God, that God has in store for us as a church. And it's a call for us to seek the Lord and and, and really let the Holy Spirit start working in us and through us. And so after that series, definitely got to bring the A game. And so a good way of bringing an A game to a sermon is to go through some scripture. So we're going to go through scripture over the course of the next two weeks. We're going to be in the book of Romans, which is a great book to be studying. And we're going to be particularly in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you got your Bibles, if you got your apps, get them ready. All right. In particular for this morning, we're going to be looking at just the first two verses of Romans 12. And then next week we'll come back. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 9. Like I said, Romans is an incredible book. If you've never studied it, you ought to. Uh, So incredible that back in my days as a senior pastor at the former church I was at, I taught through the book of Romans. It took a year and a half. I was pleasantly shocked that they didn't run me out of the church because it it took that long. Um, So for just this short two-week series, you just get nine verses this morning. But I want us to soak in, especially these first two verses, okay, uh, over these two weeks. And so I'm going to ask a favor from you this morning. Um, There's no accountability to this favor. It's just a favor. Each day this week, I want to ask you to begin your day with Romans 12, 1 through 2. So you have a task, all right, to accomplish each and every day. I just want you to read it, and I want you to be like a sponge, I just want you to soak in the words of these two verses and let the Lord speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you through these verses. And on a side note, this is actually a great uh, way of praying. 
to actually pray through Scripture, to read Scripture, to pray, and to let God really speak to you through those prayers. So whatever you have to do to remind yourself, put, put, it, put a reminder on your um, computer, put a sticky note on your steering wheel for your drive to work, uh, write it on lipstick on your bathroom mirror. I don't care what you have to do, but remind yourself to read Romans 12, 1 through 2, then sit down and do it and let God do his thing. Now, Aaron's been talking about these concepts of Christianity and Christendom and walking in the true ways of Jesus, not allowing the world to conform and twist and tweak, one, the gospel message itself, and then two, how the gospel teaches us to live the Christian life. And the concept is we want to hold on to these truths of Christianity, the truths of the gospel, and not to this concept of Christendom that Aaron described so well. So I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here this morning, and after hearing that series, I'm all for it. I'm like, yes, Lord, that's what I want from my life. That's how I want to live. I want you at the center of every single thing in my life. I want the gospel to speak into every aspect of my life. I want to walk in your true ways and not the ways of this world. And so in this sermon series, what what I want to teach this morning is I think there's some practical things that God gives us and God can do for us to help us in this endeavor. Hence the title of this small two-week series called Practicality. Now, I cannot take uh, credit for this title I was explaining uh, this series to Jean one morning as we were walking our dog and telling her all about what the Lord was putting on my heart to teach. And I get done, and she kind of turns to me and goes, seems pretty practical. And I was like, well, you could be a little more excited about it, you know. I mean, I'm excited about it. You could be a little bit more, it seems, but, you know, it just seems pretty practical. But then, like, the horn started going off, and the lights started flashing in my head. And it's like, practicality. Practicality. God gives us practical ways to help us to live out his true gospel. And so we got back to the house, and we look up the definition of practicality. And there are actually two definitions. The first doesn't do much for us. The first was like the quality or state of being practical. I was like, okay. So that doesn't help us. But the second one is the one we need to really get into our brains. The aspect of a situation that involved the actual doing or experience of something rather than theories or ideas. I want to repeat that for us. The aspects of a situation that involve the actual doing or experience of something rather than theories or ideas. Perhaps to dumb dumb it down a bit, it's putting thoughts and ideas into action. I'm 50 years old, and so I would say for 45 of my 50 years, I have been trying to get this body into shape. All right? And I know it would be an awesome thing to get this body into shape. And I can actually see it in my brain how awesome it would be to have this body into shape. But I know practically for that to happen, that means i got to get off the couch. That means i got to eat the right foods. That means I need to exercise, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, I'm still trying to figure it all out. All right? So what we're going to see is that in the first two verses of Romans, Romans speaks practically to how 
we're going to walk with Jesus, to how we can walk with Jesus. And then next week with verses 3 through 9, it's practically, it corresponds to loving our neighbor. And I want us to also look at some real practical tools that God gives us to do these things. So to Romans 12 we go. Little cliff notes on Romans. The Apostle Paul gives like a theological discourse of the gospel through the first 11 chapters of Romans teaching on subject matter and saying things such as the righteous shall live by faith. We are justified by faith. We have peace with God through faith. It's a lot of faith, 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 grace, grace, grace stuff. That we find life through the Holy Spirit. That we are heirs with Christ. And that's just a small taste. Like I said, year and a half we went through it. And the first year was Romans 1 through 11. There's so much depth to these chapters If you've never done a thorough study of the theology of Romans 1 through 11, do it. It's absolutely incredible. Paul's focus is being that the sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross, his grace and his mercy is sufficient. Our belief and faith in him is the way to salvation and eternal life. The message of the gospel. But then in chapter 12... Paul kind of shifts gears a bit because Paul knows that the Christian life is not just about knowing all the theology, knowing all the doctrine, knowing the message, but it's actually living it out. It goes beyond just our brains and goes into action. I mean, I know a lot of people who can give you a seminary degree discourse on what the message of the gospel is. But they're either choosing to or they've never lived it out in their lives. This is the one thing I love about the Apostle Paul is that he can go so in-depth with this theological discourse of the gospel and then he follows it up with practical ways in in how we can then live it out. He's one of the greatest theologians that's ever lived in the history of the world. But in the same person, he's one of the greatest practical teachers of how to live the Christian life out as well. And so, going back to one of Aaron's words, we want to be a remnant. I love that word that he used. We want to be a remnant as the church that doesn't want to simply hold on to this concept of Christendom. But we want to live in the true truth and the true ways of the gospel. Be a part of God's uprising. So here are the first two verses of Romans 12. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul's teaching us This is how we are to respond to the grace and the mercy that God has given us. How to respond to this truth of the gospel. The therefore that we see in verse 1 appeals back to everything that Paul taught theologically in in chapters 1 through 11. Revealing all that God has done for us. How he saved us through his life, death, and resurrection. The truth that we've been saved by faith and not by our works. What's our response to that truth? It's that our whole being is to be given over entirely to God. 
When Paul mentions present your bodies here, he's not just talking about physical body. He's talking about our soul as well, the essence of who we are, the very depths of who we are, that it all belongs to God, all of it, that he's bought us. The price was his son, and we are now his. This is the sacrifice we are to make to God. His son Jesus was the sacrifice for us. We are now to sacrifice our lives to him. And like Jesus, soak this in, like Jesus, we are to be a living sacrifice. Because Christ is alive, he has made us alive, we are a living sacrifice. We've been made alive through his resurrection. Our eyes have been opened. We have a new breath of life to breathe because we have new life with Christ. Earlier in Romans, Paul says in uh, chapter 6, verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. My friends, this call to live this incredible Christian life is for now. Not for a time to come. Not for years down the road. Not when we all have it all together. But now, wherever we're at, right now. Walk in the newness of life that Christ has given us. And it also doesn't mean part of our life. Doesn't mean 50%. Doesn't mean 90%. Doesn't mean 99%. It means every action, every thought, every idea to and for God. The fullness of handing our lives over to him. To put our lives into his hands. To live in a manner that pleases him and glorifies him. Being a living sacrifice, holy, meaning we are being set apart, acceptable to God. When we do this, when we live in this manner, Paul says this is our spiritual worship to God offering our whole life to him. And so the question is, practically speaking, what does that look like? What does it look like to be a living sacrifice to God? And it starts at the beginning of verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, I know you all got it going on. Nobody struggles with that, right? All of, none of you struggle with conforming to this world. So I'm preaching to myself right now. This is a constant daily struggle for my life. I can't tell you the number of times I've chosen to go with the flow, to move along with the current of this world. Many times it's because going along with the world is actually easier. It's easier to go with the flow of the world than it is to walk with Jesus. It's easier to choose the ways of the world. Go along with the world, you're going to find a lot of times more acceptance and less resistance. You're going to get a lot more resistance when you choose to walk with Jesus. You might find that others, when you walk with the world, are going to think even more highly of you. You might even get some perks and privileges that come your way when you choose to walk in the ways of the world. Many times conforming to the world looks like this for me. See if you can relate. Jesus is telling me to speak his message. The world is telling me to speak a different message So I choose to say nothing. 
And I think to myself, this, when I use this kind of logic is, well, if I don't say anything, at least I'm not agreeing with the world. But here's the truth of that kind of logic. It's really still conforming to the world. Because God has given me this new life to live with, a new purpose to live, and a new message to speak, and I'm choosing in the moment not to speak it. When someone, I mean, our youth and our younger ages deal with this struggle many times through the lens of peer pressure. You guys struggle with it day in and day out. My daughter, Hannah, she's 13 now. As she's getting older, my message for her and how she has to deal with peer pressure and what she is to do practically in those moments is no longer just ignore it. When she was younger, maybe that was the message, but now it's no longer the message. Don't just ignore it, but I've been trying to encourage her and her mother's been trying to encourage her to go further than that and to actually speak up against it. When someone makes fun and hurts the feelings of another around you, don't just remove yourself from the situation. Don't just say nothing and feel good about yourself because you just didn't join in. But speak up and stand up for that other person because this is who the Lord has called you to be. And you have a message on your lips that God has given you in the moment. This is one of the ways to walk with Jesus and to love your neighbor. And... Yeah, you're saying that to a 13-year-old, but as a 50-year-old, I still walk with the ways of the world in the very same aspect. When I deal with peer pressure of my own, I choose to go with the flow of the world instead of standing up like I'm trying to tell my own daughter to do. For me, many times, going along with the things of this world looks a little bit different. Maybe I enjoy the joys of this world instead of finding my joy in Christ. I take pride in my possessions. Financial security might become an idol in my life. I even find myself uh, pushing Hannah in her running. She's a pretty awesome runner. But I push her not for her to enjoy running and not because she's good at it, but because I'm actually living vicariously through her success. Because when I was her age, I didn't do so hot when I ran. And so now, today, her successes are my successes. Do you hear how that's following the ways of this world? That's just a few examples of how I conform. Trust me, we don't have enough time this morning to go through the exhaustive list. But Paul's practical teaching is simple. It doesn't have to be that way. You have power over this through me. These are not the things that I have taught you and not the ways that I have given you. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. To be transformed by God means he has called us above and beyond the ways of this world. My much younger brother in Christ over here, Caleb Dunford, and I have been studying through the Sermon on the Mount together for a few months And we've been discussing how Jesus calls us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, as Matthew 5 tells us. And the message to both of our lives is clear. Jesus is the better way. He's the greater way. And so what does that mean for Caleb to be a light as a senior at Maryville High School this year, as a member of the Maryville football team, as a son to Wendy and David? 
as, as an older brother to his sister, Sky. What does it mean for me at age 50, nine months into this new position here at Vineyard? How can I be a salt and light to you all, to this whole congregation, and then especially at home with my wife and my daughter? These are practical questions that we should be asking of ourselves, not just once in a while, not just on Sunday morning when Aaron preaches, but every single day. How can I be salt and light to those around me? And what we're going to find is when we do that, there begins a shift to our thinking, a shift in how we look at things, a shift in how we view God, a shift in how we view others, a shift in what our lives are all about. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit at work, starting that renewing in the mind and starting that transformation. And so in going along with this, not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds, I just want to give us all three extremely practical tools to help us in our transformation, to help us renew. There are many for the sake of this morning. Yep, three. Uh, Two of these are going to be straight up, duh. Things you've heard your whole church life. Okay? The last one, I'm praying, is going to kick you in the butt a little bit. I know it kicked me. So the first is as practical as it gets. And it's that we need to dig into God's word. Now, if you only had a dollar for every time a pastor told you on a Sunday morning that you need to be reading and digging into God's word, we'd all be rich people, right? That just comes along with the pastor brand. I often get asked, do you recommend a book for me to read on vacation? Yes. One, the Bible. And I get this look like, really? Yes. It's the best book you could ever read. It's the best book you could ever read multiple times in your life. And I say that because there's a power in God's word that I'm not sure many of us have chosen to dig into. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's taking, uh, digging into God's word to a whole new level. How many of us in our lives, show of hands, have ever read through the Bible? Front to back. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people, and that's great. How many of you did it because of 2 Timothy 3? You did it because you knew it would teach you truth. You did it because you wanted to be corrected in your life. You wanted to be trained in righteousness, in the ways of God. It looks to me that God gave us his word, not so we could just say, hey, I've read the Bible but that we would be transformed by the Bible. God's God's word has the power to change our lives, that we may be complete and equipped for his good works. That's transformation. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, able to take words off a page, bring them into our mind, seep them through our body, move them into action, to where we are changed. We are molded more into his image that way. 
The thing I love the most about God's word is that each day we open it, the overall message that Jesus is Lord, salvation is only found through faith in Christ. It's the same each and every time that we read it. But then the Bible has this unique thing that it can actually speak to you in different ways. The same exact verse. You could read a verse of scripture one day, and it encourages you in some way. You could, you could read the exact same verse the next day, and it sends you to your knees in repentance. That's the power of God's word. We read God's word, and we start realizing that the world we'll start realizing that the world doesn't revolve around us, that we're not number one. Our minds get transformed and renewed to realize that we should put others before ourselves. Our minds get renewed to store up treasures in heaven instead of on earth and to start living with an eternal perspective. If we're not finding time in God's word, we're missing out on a practical tool that God has given us for our lives to be changed for the better. That's number one. A second practical tool is to have discipleship relationships in your life. Discipleship, pastor, yes, that's what I'm supposed to say. If you were here some months ago, you heard AJ and I did a little two-week series on discipleship, and we said that all of us should be looking to be discipled in our lives as well as to disciple others. Hebrews 3 tells us this, Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So here's the question to ponder. Who are you digging into God's word with? Who are you sitting down with and learning from God's word with? Who are you getting together to have simple conversations about who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life and what he's doing in that other person's life? Who are you praying for? And likewise, who is praying for you and encouraging you in your life? Discipleship relationships keep us in tune with the ways of God. They give us accountability so when I go astray and I start moving in the ways of the world, Caleb grabs me because he's a lot stronger than I am and he pulls me back and says, no, that's not the way. You know it's not the way. Start going the right way. This is what Jesus says and that's the accountability that we have as brothers in Christ. Discipleship relationships remind us that we don't have to try to live this whole gospel life all by ourselves. We were created and brought into the family of God to be a family of God. To be in relationship, ultimately with God, yes, but also with one another. Together we are the family of God. Together we support each other. Together we challenge each other. And together we pursue the ways of Jesus. My friends, if you're trying to live this gospel life all by yourself, If your thought process is, it's me and Jesus. Okay, you got the Jesus part. That's good. That's building stones. We need one another as well. We need each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then one more practical tool for our lives to be transformed and renewed. 
And this one's going to sound simple and practical enough, but man, it's, it's hard. It's very hard. And it's a bit scary because we really don't know what it's all going to entail. But here's the tool. There are places in our lives where we need to ask God to break us. Simple as that. We need to ask God to break us. Here's what I mean. There are things of this world, there are ways of this world that we are clinging onto. Like we got our fingernails like deep cling into it. Because they give us pleasure, they entice us, they in some way bring us happiness. And that doesn't sound too bad, but hear me out. The problem with those things is they don't go along with the ways of the gospel. They don't go along with the ways of Jesus. They are wrong for our lives. And there's a deeper problem, is that we've chained ourselves in a way to these things of the world to where we, we, can't break ourselves from them. Only God can do it. And we need to ask God to break us to set us free. Acts 13 says this to us, let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man, he's talking about Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you cannot be freed by the law of Moses. Whatever, in whatever ways we've tried to break ourselves from the things of this world and we couldn't do it, here's the truth. God can do it. He can break us, and we need to ask him to do so. One of my um, favorite Christian musicians is Andrew Peterson, and he has a song called Have Your Way, and there's this verse, and when, when I hear this verse uh, in my car, whenever I'm playing it, it just absolutely floors me, and I have to hit reverse and listen to it again, and then about the 50th time, I'll finally move on. But this verse is incredible. He says, Oh, Holy Father, hear me now. Now, right there, it's a cry. It's a plea. In that moment, O Holy Father, hear me now. When flesh is strong and spirit weak, please break my back if I won't bow. Won't you have your way with me? Can you imagine asking God to break you in the moments you aren't willing to bow? For him to just put his hand on you, push us down. That's what we need in our lives. In the moments we aren't willing to give up, to give our whole lives to him. And I tell you, and I say this with all the love that I have for you, with all the sincerity that I have and can muster, there's some of us that need to ask God to break us because we are holding on to something that is not good for our lives. Something worldly, something in the flesh, some lie the enemy is telling us, something Christendom, whatever it is that's getting in the way of giving our whole self to God, ask him to break you from it. And I know that's a scary thought because it means letting go of pleasures, it means letting go of comfort. It's scary to think about because God can actually break us. And when we think about that, it's like, oh, that might hurt a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it might hurt a little bit. But here's the truth. Hear me now. 
Hang with me. When he breaks us, he does it with grace and mercy. He does it with his grace and mercy. The same song. Here's the last verse. Please hear me, Lord, this blessed hour when sin has loosed its hold on me. In other words, God's done his thing. You've asked him, he's come, he's broken you. Thy mercy is a mighty tower. So why should I not trust in thee? Father, have your way with me. When the Father breaks us, he does it with the mighty tower that is his mercy and his grace. And he brings us to this place where our only option is to trust him and to place our whole life into his hands because we know his ways are better than our own. Now, and finally, there's a pretty awesome reason for us not conforming to this world, being transformed by the renewal of our minds. It's the end of verse 2, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So many times I've, as a pastor I've had again and again people say to me, what's God's will for my life? I can't figure out God's will for my life. I don't have the answer to that specifically, but I do know a good way to help you figure that out. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Because as our lives are transformed, as our minds are being renewed, we are going to be better able to discern what God's will is for us. Amen? Amen. I want to invite David up. He's going to come play a little bit. As we go into this time of Selah, as we always do, I want to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. And I want to practice, or I, want to, I want to focus, sorry, on this practical tool of asking God to break us. And so as we're going into this, maybe a first question to ask to God is, Lord, is there an area in my life that I have not given over to you fully. And maybe you already know that. Maybe you don't have to ask that question, but maybe for a long time we've had blinders on to where we can't see it anymore. And we need to ask God to reveal that place in our lives, whatever it might be, whether it's anger issues, whether it's pornography, whether it's, I don't know, you name it. What are we holding on to that doesn't need to be held on to any longer? And God wants to come in and he wants to break us. He wants to change our lives for the good. So I encourage you, ask that first question, Lord, is there an area in my life that I have not given over to you? Are there places in my life where I have conformed to the world's ways? And then as he reveals those places to you, that's the opportunity to hand them over to him. To leave it at the cross, if you will. To let him take it, to break you, to start renewing your mind, to start transforming your life, to discern God's will for you. find yourself in the moment reluctant to hand that thing over as a brother in Christ as one of your pastors I implore you do this practical thing 
ask God to break you. Ask God to break your back if you won't bow. Knowing the truth that his mercy is a mighty tower.